we're going to um, read the Bible together. My name's Lauren, if I haven't met you before. Uh, and we have three Bible readings uh, today, starting on page seven of the Zines. I'm going to start off with Acts chapter one, verses one to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. The second reading is Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king of, Is of Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the, Lord with, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And our final reading is Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Good afternoon, my name's Paul White. I'm an assistant minister here at Churchill Anglican, and it's my, I guess, joy and privilege to be amongst you this afternoon, invited by Rowan and by Justin to speak on our our new series, a little bit of a break from our uh, time in the book of James. It'd be great if you keep uh, those Bible readings open, particularly that first one from Acts and uh, the Colossians reading, which just has to be one of my favourite in all of Scripture, those words about Jesus in Colossians 1, but we'll get to that. Um, So to begin, I don't know if you're much one for a liturgical calendar. And if not, bear with me. You might not even know what that is. Now, there's a board up at St. Philip's, um, kind of up there at our sister church up the road. And each week it's changed uh, by some of the faithful members of the 8.30 service, uh, kind of cycling through the various seasons in the Christian year. Uh, You might read on it things like the second Sunday of Epiphany, or the third Sunday before Lent, or around Easter, you might read Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, or Easter Day. You know, I can almost see in my mind's eye, and I'll have to check with Andy if this actually happened this morning, but I can almost see in my mind's eye, a little later this evening at our 6pm service up the road, uh, Justin standing in the pulpit, uh, looking as he does directly uh, into the eyes of the congregation. And then while maintaining eye contact with his audience, thrusting his long left arm out unerringly and pointing directly at that board. Today is the Sunday after Ascension Day, he'll say. How do I know? The board never lies. I don't know if Andy heard Justin do that this morning, but I expect that Um, Something like that will happen up the road. Uh, So yes, today is Sunday after Ascension Day in the church liturgical calendar. And look, perhaps already with words like that, your eyes have begun to glaze over a little. Um, And whatever you think of liturgical calendars and prayer books and the like, um, I think it's fair to say that the people who prepared them did know their Bibles really well. And so at Church Hill for the next three weeks, as a short break from our series in the book of James, we're going to travel with the liturgical calendar uh, through three Sundays. Today, the Sunday after Ascension Day. Uh, Next Sunday, Whit Sunday. uh, And the following Sunday, Trinity Sunday. To commemorate and honour two foundational events and one foundational reality of the Christian faith. Two foundational events, the ascension of Jesus today and the pouring out of his Holy Spirit at Pentecost next Whit Sunday, and one foundational reality on Trinity Sunday in which we'll look at God's triune character, Father, Son and Spirit, three persons yet one God. Before I launch today into a talk which is essentially the doctrine of the ascension of Jesus, I think it's really important to say right at the outset that whenever we talk in church about um, head knowledge, if you like, like this, there's a danger that it misses our hearts. And so in a moment I'm going to tell you that Jesus is sovereign, while some of you are perhaps thinking 
that my life is spinning out of control. In a moment, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, that he's king over all. Well, perhaps one or two of you are sitting there dreading to go to work tomorrow because your boss is a tyrant. I'm going to say that Jesus gives us good gifts. Well, perhaps one amongst us is asking yourself why Jesus gave your mother breast cancer. No doubt some of us are feeling lonely, like no one has our back. Perhaps we're filled with negative self-talk. The black dog barely kept in check. My life's going nowhere. I'm unimportant. I'm, well, I'm a nobody amongst these impressive, happy people all around me. In the grand scheme of things, I don't really matter at all. Maybe some of you came to church today putting on a brave face. You're in pain and suffering, and increasingly conscious uh, as you look around you that the greater part of our world suffers with you. Jesus, you say, I I didn't come to church tonight so that my eyes would glaze over with doctrine. What do you have here for me this afternoon? So look at the outset, I'd like to assure you that there are answers here. And I hope to show you that the ascension of Jesus speaks light and hope into each of these situations and many more like them. So today, the ascension. Today, according to the calendar, is the Sunday after Ascension Day, which means that 1,986 years ago, this Thursday past, Jesus ascended into heaven, where he has been ever since, where he is now. And in the spirit of the Sunday after the Ascension, I wonder how often do you think about where Jesus is now? What Jesus is doing now? We tend to think about what Jesus did in the past. We tend to think about his incarnation, his life, his death, his uh, resurrection. Or to think about what Jesus um, you know, will do in the future, his return or his eternal reign. But what about now? What is Jesus doing now? And how important is it for us to think about Jesus now? Well, I think the uh, authors of the liturgical calendar were onto something in setting aside one Sunday each year to think about Jesus' ascension because when you think about it, our faith as Christians is in Jesus, the Jesus who died and rose again, the Jesus who will one day come again, but also the Jesus who is currently sitting at God's right hand. And so in our call to worship there, Paul in Colossians 3.1 tells the Colossians to set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Hebrews 3.1 tells the readers to fix your thoughts on Jesus. And then Paul in Thessalonians describes Christians as those who are waiting for God's Son from heaven. And so as Christians, our gaze is to be directed to the risen Lord Jesus. And so what I want us to do today is to think about three things. Firstly, who is Jesus now? Secondly, where is Jesus now? And then thirdly, what is Jesus doing now? Who's Jesus now? Where is he now? And what's he doing? So firstly, this first one, who is Jesus now? And as I said before, this Thursday past, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, where he's remained ever since. But I think many people, if they were asked to describe who Jesus is now, 
well, they kind of grasp for some kind of hazy, undefined spirit image of Jesus sitting on a cloud somewhere. I think this is where our passage today in Acts 1 is so helpful. And just to set the historical context before we dive into it, 40 days have passed since Jesus rose from the dead. He's appeared to Peter, to a couple on the road to Emmaus, to Mary Magdalene and some other women at his tomb, and to more than 500 people on one occasion, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, and also to his disciples on at least three specific occasions, continuing to teach and train them about the kingdom of God. In the Gospels, there are references to Jesus' hands and feet, his flesh and bones, his, um, show, he shows his hands and his side, uh, he allows himself to be touched and he eats food. And all of this is to say that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, giving, as we read there in Acts 1-3, many convincing proofs that he was alive. But then on the other hand, there are occasions um, sort of at the end of the Gospels when, well, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus cannot be touched and when he's not recognised and when he appears and disappears in a mysterious manner, and when he startles his disciples at his coming. It's the same Jesus, but somehow different. To use the words of 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus has a body that has been sown in dishonour and weakness, but raised in glory and power into a spiritual, changed into a spiritual body. And so in Acts 1, as Jesus speaks his parting words to his disciples, it's the same Jesus, the same face, the same voice, the same mannerisms, even the same scars. And yet Jesus is also somehow changed. He eats fish that is real enough to touch, yet can materialise into rooms through locked doors and disappear suddenly in similar fashion. His resurrected body now belonging to two dimensions, to both heaven and earth, just as ours will one day. And then uh, in Acts, um, in front of us, before his disciples, very eyes Jesus in his perfect resurrection body, so, so familiar and so yet so different, ascends, ascension. He ascends like a king to his throne, bodily, before their eyes into heaven. Higher and higher into the sky he is raised until a cloud in front of our zines hides him from their sight. He's taken up by his father before their very eyes, levitated bodily into heaven before their astonished eyes. So firstly, who is Jesus now? The answer is he is a human being, perfected, raised imperishable, spiritual and embodied. The first one from the dead uh, whom will follow. Not some hazy kind of ephemeral spirit, a human being. And yet this is the most precious part of all of this. If you think about it, Jesus has carried his humanity into the transcendent being of the Godhead. There is now a human being in the Godhead. Ascension means that God has forever a human heart that God forever bears human scars like you and I. He knows how you're feeling right now. Ascension means that human nature is glorified in a way that had never happened before. Humanity accorded inestimable, infinite dignity and worth in the eyes of God because of the ascension of Jesus. 
which means that no matter how you're feeling tonight, no matter what Satan is whispering in your ear, you have inestimable worth in the eyes of Jesus. You're loved and cherished by him. Well, secondly, uh, where is Jesus now? Verse 11 in Acts 1 says it. (laughs) Jesus is in heaven. Uh, Philippians 2, he's been exalted to the highest place. Uh, Jesus has a human body, and that body is in heaven. But then there are passages like John 14, where Jesus promised us that he would not leave us as orphans, that he'd come to us by his spirit. He, that he would be away from us in body, but present through his spirit. And this means that Jesus left us to be nearer to every single one of us. Physically and locally restricted, time and space-bound contact with a few has made way for spiritual, inward, deep, unbreakable, eternal fellowship with the many. Jesus is away from us in body, but present with us in his spirit. He lives in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on all believers. So that not just 12 disciples, but every single one of us can enjoy intimate, personal relationship with him. It means if we're lonely, we don't need to be. Because at the ascension, Jesus left us in order to be near, nearer to every single one of us. It was only by returning to heaven that Jesus' spirit could be poured out. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you through the Holy Spirit. The last words of Matthew's gospel, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age through his Holy Spirit. So who's Jesus now? He's a human being, perfected, raised, imperishable, spiritual, and yet embodied. And where is Jesus now? Well, he's absent because he has a human body, but present through his spirit. Which brings us to thirdly, and most crucially, what is Jesus doing now? It's been 2,000 years. What's Jesus been doing? What's he been up to? If the Bible tells us to set our hearts and minds on things above, to fix our eyes on Jesus now, to direct our gaze to our resurrected Lord. Well, what is it that Jesus is doing? What are we to think about to set our hearts upon? What is Jesus doing right now? You know, this is where things get really exciting. See, right now I think Jesus is doing at least six things. I've probably got time to treat one of them fully and then we're going to skip through the rest. Um, When you think of Jesus now, um, think of at least these six things. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's interceding. He's preparing a place for us. He's giving gifts. He's building his kingdom through his spirit. He's being worshipped. So we're going to look at each of those briefly in turn. That's the first one a bit more substantially. What is Jesus doing now? Well, right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning over all. Uh, Philippians 2, he's been exalted to the highest place. He's been given the name that's above every name. When you think of ascension, think less of Jesus being lifted up into heaven and more, uh, like in Psalm 2, the rightful king ascending to his throne. Right now, Jesus is seated 
at the right hand of God. Not to rest, but to rule. Jesus has been given, if you like, in sort of ancient usage, um, he's been given the seat of executive power by his Father at his Father's right hand. Remember Matthew 28, just before the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Right now, Christ rules over all the spheres of authority that exist, both angelic and human, including your boss. He rules the entire cosmos. In everything Colossians 18, he has the supremacy. And perhaps our passage in Colossians 1 is the best place in our Bibles for us to really feel the full impact of the rule and reign of Jesus. It's generally one of my favourite passages in all of Scripture. Um, Perhaps that's because it's some of the highest Christology uh, you're ever going to read. It's been referred to as nosebleed nosebleed Christology because it's so high. Um, Have a look there, starting maybe at verse 15, where it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image, (laughs) the exact representation, if you like, the portrait of God who's been appointed firstborn over all creation. And again, following ancient usage there, this means that the highest honour as the firstborn belongs to Jesus. Verse 16, higher we go. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Why is Jesus supreme over all creation? Why is the highest honour accorded to him? Because in him all things were created, everything. All things have been created through him, and and get this, for him. Jesus Christ isn't just the agent of creation. All created things were made for him, for his purposes, his ends, for his rightful possession and to his glory. And so when you go out this evening and look around you, that bus, the children, the sun setting, the vivid festival just setting up right now outside, the vehicle you drive home from church, it's all his. There's not a single square inch of this universe, millions of light years across, that wasn't created through Jesus and ultimately for Jesus, for his purposes, for his possession, and for his glory. Your boss isn't in control of you. He is. The rule and reign of Christ means in everything Jesus has the supremacy. There can be no greater honour, no greater power, no greater person than him. And Paul's words about the rule and reign of Christ just keep ascending, climbing higher and higher. Verses 17 and 18, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Not only were all things created in Jesus and by Jesus and for Jesus, but right now, get your mind around this, right now Jesus is holding all things into being. If he were to stop doing so for even a moment, then all of creation would fall out of being and cease to exist. Right now, even as you listen to me speak these words, Jesus Christ is holding everything that is into being, Colossians 1. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, Hebrews 1. 
What holds the universe together isn't an idea or a virtue or dark matter or any other scientific hypothesis, but a person, the resurrected Jesus. Without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. Planets wouldn't stay in their orbits. But more than this, everything would fall out of being. So if you feel powerless tonight, this is the kind of power that you have on your side. All that everything we see and touch and taste or hear is the gracious temporary provision of Jesus Christ who is sustaining all, holding all things into being so that we might have time to turn and repent. His incredible power is on display temporarily sustaining our universe just so that we might turn and recognize him as Lord and Savior and come to him in repentance and faith before he refreshes and recreates it all in the new heavens and the new earth where we'll dwell with him forever. It's just mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? You know, one of the major pursuits in modern science is finding the theory of everything, also known as final theory or ultimate theory or, or master theory. The theory of everything is a hypothetical, single, all-encompassing, coherent theoretical framework of physics that fully explains and links together all the physical aspects of the universe. It's kind of like the holy grail of science, the search for the simple set of laws that explain every complex detail in our universe. And yet in Colossians 1, 13 to 20, We've had this unifying theory of everything for nearly 2,000 years. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the point of convergence between the cosmic activities of our transcendent God and human history. He is the interpretive key for understanding the meaning of creation, the purpose of life and its goal. He's the key who unlocks the meaning and purpose of the universe and the hinge on which all eternity swings. So if you come to church this evening for answers, well, he's the answer. And he is the one who right now is ruling and reigning in heaven as our ascended Lord. Well, what's Jesus doing right now? Um, six things. Uh, first among them, as we've just spoken about from Psalm 2 in Colossians 1, is that he's ruling and reigning. And, and because I got a little carried away with that first one, my remaining points are going to be brief. Secondly, passages like Romans 8, 34 and 1 John 2, 1 teach us that right now Jesus is interceding for us before his Father in heaven. Just like the priests in the Old Testament would continually offer up sacrifices for the sins of the people, Jesus continually brings his once and for all sacrifice before his Father for our sins. I kind of feel like continually applying his work on the cross to my life to your life if you've put your trust in him, keeping us perpetually, eternally clean and holy in the sight of God. If you want to read about that at length, Hebrews 8 through 10 uh, says that. And right now, and until Jesus returns, uh, he's interceding for us in heaven, which means that nothing, as Paul continues in Romans 8, can ever separate us from the love of God. Not life, nor death, not angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or redundancy, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing that you've done in your past 
you might have brought with you, the guilt tonight to church, nothing that you can do in your future, no sin that you can commit, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Because right now Jesus is continually, perpetually, eternally interceding for you with him. Jesus' intercession also takes the form of prayer. We all know how good it is to have a Christian friend praying for us, if you're a Christian, that is. But imagine how much more so to know that Jesus right now in heaven is always continually praying for us before his Father. What's more than this, the Bible teaches us that thirdly, right now Jesus in heaven is preparing a place for us. In John 14, Jesus' disciples are in crisis. Their lives too, perhaps like yours right now, um, was spinning out of control. It had just been the bombshell that Jesus was leaving him, and it was like the whole world was coming down on their heads. Only for Jesus to reassure them in that moment and reassure us if we're uncertain about our future. Jesus said to them back then and to us, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. What's Jesus doing now? Well, he's preparing a place for us. Not up in a cloud somewhere, but a place that is better by far. More real than plunging in an ice-cold spring. More satisfying than a meal at Guillaume's, if you like French food. More satisfying for me and my wife than watching our six-year-old son Joel lovingly read his little brother Ethan bedtime stories. More triumphant than your greatest achievement at work. Even better than that moment when you felt closest to God, when you felt bathed in his presence, when that sense of peace and love flooded your soul. Even better than that moment. Imagine the very best moments of your life cleansed forever of sin and suffering and death, only then to be enjoyed into all eternity. Jesus right now is preparing a place like this for you and I, where the Bible assures us it is better by far. Well, fourthly, um, right now in heaven, Jesus, according to Ephesians 4, is giving spiritual gifts to people uh, to equip us for service so that his church might be built up. Now, some of us, he's giving teaching and gifts of teaching and pastoral care and evangelism and leadership. Uh, and to others, he's giving gifts of service and encouragement and generosity. Uh, some of us speak or pray in tongues because of Jesus' gifts. Others prophesy. You know, some even pray and people are healed because of Jesus' gifts. And right now, uh, to all of us, in some measure, Jesus is giving gifts of love, joy and peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control so that we can love each other better and impact this world for him. The same Jesus who right now is ruling and reigning and interceding and praying for us and preparing a place for us where it's better by far is also showering his children with good gifts through his spirit, whom, fifthly, he's right now pouring out into the hearts of all believers in order that they might experience his power and his presence, in order that they might enjoy intimate relationship with him and the Father 
in order that they might continue, we might continue, his work in the world. But that's, that's a bit of next week, um, Pentecost. You know, through his greatest gift to us, the Holy Spirit, who is the supreme resource for Christian life and mission, Jesus, right now, from heaven, is advancing his kingdom here on earth. This means that by his spirit, he's healing our world. He's bringing an end to pain and suffering. He's bringing final justice to earth. You think about it, no one cares more than Jesus does about the pain and suffering in our world because he experienced it firsthand on the cross. He bears the scars from his experiences here in the Godhead. And right now he's working through his spirit, through his people, through his church, through this church, to rid our world of sin's curse forever. That's five things. And finally, um, and perhaps an appropriate place to end, uh, what's Jesus doing now? What's one final reality? What's one final image of him to set our hearts and minds on? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, what do we see in the pages of Scripture? What's, What's one final thing? Well, finally, I think we see our King, Jesus, being worshipped by thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Right now, Jesus is being worshipped. He's been exalted to the highest power, dignity and honour conceivable and possible under that of God himself. Angels stand before God's face and cover their own faces, but the Son is seated at God's right hand. He's received a power that encompasses all power in heaven and earth. He's obtained a glory that far surpasses that of all creatures. He's received a dignity that prompts every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth to bow itself and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father in worship. Who is Jesus now? He's a human being, perfected, raised imperishable, spiritual, and yet eternally bearing his human body. Where is Jesus now? He's absent because he has a human body. But he's present through his spirit. Jesus left us in order to be nearer to every single one of us. What's Jesus doing now? He's ruling and reigning. In everything he has the supremacy. He's interceding and praying for us. He's preparing a place for us in heaven where it is better by far. He's giving gifts to his people, foremost amongst which is the Holy Spirit, whom he pours into the hearts of every believer so that we can enter into intimate relationship with him and his Father and continue their work in our world. And finally, right now, Jesus is being worshipped by thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly and by billions of believers around the world today on this Sunday after Ascension Day. So how about we pray to him and to his Father. Dear Heavenly Father, on this Sunday after Ascension Day, we lift our hearts and minds to Jesus, your Son, seated at your right hand in glory. Today we commemorate and honour his ascension to your throne. Please enable us to fix our eyes on him, his sovereignty, his glory, his humanity, his 
love for us. In all of our weakness, help us to lean ever more into his grace. Please, Lord, direct our gaze continually in assurance and confidence and excitement to our resurrected Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.